Stay hungry, stay foolish. Fourteenth-century Sufi poet Hafiz wrote, Learn to recognize the counterfeit coins that may buy you just a moment of pleasure, but then drag you for days like a broken man behind a farting camel. Pornography is not only an individual problem, it is a social and cultural problem. It's impacting many relationships, individuals, and in the dawn of pornography moving to virtual reality and ultimate ease of access, it is conditioning our future generations how they think, how they interact in society, and how they have relationships. How, you may wonder, can something that isn't a drug, isn't an extramarital affair, cause such devastating problems as divorce, getting fired, the inability to get sexually aroused from a real-life partner? This show strives to make us consider something we hadn't thought of before. On today's show, we hope to help you as a user of pornography or a partner or friend of a regular pornography user to understand why this is a societal and cultural problem, to understand how the porn habit is formed and how it can rewire our brains, and to evaluate the impact of porn on children, relationships, and society as a whole. We welcome internationally renowned speaker, expert, and relationship and sex therapist, and author of multiple titles, including Today's Focus, The Porn Trap, The Essential Guide to Overcoming Problems Caused by Pornography, Wendy Maltz. Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Aidan. It's fantastic to have you on the show. It's a difficult issue to talk about, and I'm sure it's one that many people have brushed over. It poses a serious dilemma for people, and Coming from an ex-professional sports background that I come from, I grew up in an all-male, testosterone-filled environment. I went to an all-boys school, so I know how easy it was then to access pornography. And that was the early 90s before the mass adoption of the internet. And it was always seen as a laugh and harmless and something that we all snigger about, and we still do as adults. But it has real consequences. And even though it may be a fantasy, it spills into real life. Your experience is similar to mine. And as a sex therapist, I've been a sex and relationship therapist for like four decades, if you can believe it. And pornography didn't start out as a big problem with when I saw people for counseling. Maybe people argued over what porn video they would see or possibly that a partner was seeing looking at porn and they didn't like it, but, you know, one partner saying that. But in terms of it being a big kind of mental health problem and public health problem and a serious problem where people were calling and saying porn is the actual focus, the cause of what's destroying our relationship or why we couldn't get married or why I lost my job, you know, that didn't start happening until the advent of the Internet. When porn became a product that was available 24-7, it also started spinning out with a crueler edge, more uh, aggressiveness, more uh, degradation, violence against racial minorities, and exploitation, scenes of real severe exploitation going on, child pornography, and things like that being quite prevalent. And that's when, you know, we started seeing all these problems. But I, as a sex therapist and even as a, um, a woman in a relationship for many years, you know, myself, I didn't think of 
porn as a big issue up until it sort of spun out. The technology morphed it into something different than it had been. And this something different had a potency, was became obvious. It had a potency that it could actually harm people. Going from, let's say, an artistic kind of product to something that was entertainment or, like you said, fantasy, to something that was actually had become a preferred sexual outlet, a sexual outlet people would like in order to maintain a kind of extramarital relationship that actually could compete with a real person or even with the development of a, a sex life that involved human flesh people. Yeah, and you tell us that that's the, one of the major problems. It's no longer about the relationship with a person. So it's not like you see through a lens to see another person at the other end. The relationship becomes with the device itself. It comes with the technology itself. It's much like, much aligned to social media, I suppose. If I can, it can be blunt. It kind of sells you your own hand. It sells you your own sexual arousal and response. And it makes tons of money off of that. And it, it shapes sexuality in ways where people get addicted and get hooked easily. It knows how to trigger the brain with dopamine uh, responses and a whole lot, a whole cocktail of different kind of hormonal and excitement reactions, adrenaline that, that keep a person going back to it, hoping to get an exciting sexual release. When I was young, if you, you could talk about things like self-pleasuring, masturbation, and people didn't automatically think of porn. They thought of people with their own imaginations. People can get very uptight about the idea that porn might get taken away from them. I found it really interesting you mentioned there, and this is one thing a lot of people don't understand, is that there's huge prize here, which the, in the porn industry, there's a huge amount of money being made. And you mentioned figures in the book, but that's from 2009. And it's changed immensely. And traffic has increased immensely. I did a bit of research before the show to look at 2017 traffic versus 2016 traffic for Pornhub, who released their traffic and Pornhub being the most prolific and most used pornography site in the world. So visits were up from 2016 which was 23 billion in 2016, up to 28.5 billion. That's 81 million a day from 64 million a day in 2016. And I found this really interesting. Eight out of 10 men between the ages of 18 and 30 view pornography at least monthly. Three out of 10 view it daily. More than a third of women watch pornography at least once a week. 78% of millennials, and this one's really key, I think, aged 18 to 34, watch it on their smartphone. So now it's gone mobile. Porn has gone mobile. So therefore, they're not watching it in the comfort of their own home. They're not watching it with a partner, for etc. They're watching it in more and more risque places. And it's become not a relationship builder. It's become something totally different. That's the kind of changes that I'm hearing about from people. People are saying that at work, they're taking 
bathroom breaks, things like, you know, with their mobile devices. Early on, back 2005, you started hearing about there being some very serious work consequences, like people were using work computers and getting them infiltrated with viruses. They were losing jobs because it was discovered that they had done porn on the work computer. But now you have a situation where 70% of internet porn is watched from a mobile device. So people who are in uh, school environments, work environments, military environments, all different types of institutional environments, they can access it and it not show up directly to their work, but it can be uh, in terms of corrupting the computers at work. But in terms of the loss of work productivity, the way it's affecting their decision-making and their um, mental health and their ability to have healthy relationships in the work environment, that all that is going on. You know, I was shocked to hear that about 45% of Pornhub visits occur, this was in 2016, occur between the hours of 9 and 6 p.m. So that's during the work hours. It was actually higher than some of the statistics from, you know, like 10 years ago, the amount. But we're not talking about porn use is going on in the daytime during work hours in a very prolific way. And it affects people's thinking and their feelings about themselves, you know, not to mention their sexuality and everything. I mean, maybe people are accessing it a lot during those hours to avoid getting caught doing it at home or if with a partner. I'm not sure. Porn is such a taboo topic. We don't talk about it. We don't have good research on it in terms of the statistics and, and the use patterns and the impact. We don't have government saying, you know, oh my gosh, we've got this public health concern. These changes are happening. Uh, if this had been a pill that was around or some, you know, kind of, I don't know, environmental chemical in our environment, you know, and it was impacting sexuality to this degree, changing whole sexual thought patterns and arousal patterns and harming relationships in this way, impacting work environments in this way, you know, we would have been studying it like crazy. There would have been, you know, research grants and funding and all. But right now, it's the golden age of porn because they're not getting any kind of big, bright light shown on them. And, you know, and the impacts of porn aren't being talked about, like, let's say the impacts of cigarette smoking, you know, it's like the what was going on with tobacco, you know, in the earlier years where you had movies where it was sort of shown as smoking shown as glamorous or the thing to do, and uh, made you sexy and all. And then it wasn't until studies came out that people realized, oh, my gosh, you know, all these negative consequences are going on with smoking, maybe we better start curtailing it and protecting our children from it. This is one of the reasons I reached out to you, because we are talking about this with social media use and technology use and the smartphone leading us rather than it being a useful device for us. And when I looked into effects of social media on the brain and how it affects and can affect the shape of the brain and our neuroplasticity, and also then how our reward system works. 
pornography is exactly the same. And this is one of the reasons I think it's so vital to have you on the show, because still some people will listen to the show and go, why are you actually demonizing that? I'm not. This is an epidemic for some people. Some people are extremely addicted. If they're bringing it into the workplace, if it's affecting their relationship, their marriage, if it's leading to divorce. But what really concerns me is the prolific growth year on year. And I know that's probably partially helped by the internet being more pervasive across the world. But this is getting bigger. It's going to become more and more of a problem. And you tell us pornography can twist interests and desires away from real intimacy towards technological devices and people in situations that don't actually exist. Therefore, it creates a fantasy and the brain doesn't know the difference between the fantasy and reality. So it's leading to massive problems. But I'd love if you shared what is actually happening on the inside in the brain when people use it and when they go too far over the edge. Studies are reporting uh, sensitization so that you can have an increased wanting and craving the porn. And the more that it's used, you start wanting it more. You, be, you can become kind of desensitized and develop a tolerance for it. And where you need higher dose or greater stimulation to achieve the same response. Some studies that are showing a dysfunction in the prefrontal cortex circuits that lead to reduced impulse control and greater cravings to use. There can be a malfunctional stress system, greater cravings and withdrawal systems. And where you find all of a sudden you can't handle minor stress that well, your go-to drug, it's like you're uncomfortable without that hit from the pornographic viewing or uh, self-masturbation to porn. And it, it really creates a lot of compulsive masturbation problems. And you ha- can have difficulty being able to calm yourself down. I've seen some, uh, read about some studies where it showed a shrinking of the gray matter in the brain, the brain of compulsive porn addicts. There are similar things going on as to people with full-blown drug addictions and alcohol problems. So you don't see these changes. So, you know, you can figure, look, I'm fine. You know, this isn't affecting me. And But this stuff can be happening on the inside. And before you know it, you know, you go, oh, I think I'll stay away from porn. And then all of a sudden you go, oh my God, I can't, you know, it's, it's causing these negative consequences and I can't get away from it. But like tobacco, or like even, you know, uh, to, uh, tobacco or, or like with uh, hardcore drugs, heroin or methamphetamine, things like this, it can be causing these change, serious changes in the brain you don't realize until you try and quit. Yeah, and you tell us that it stimulates the hedonic highway. And I thought we'd look a little bit at the mechanics of what's going on, because maybe that will appeal to some people that there's science behind this. This is not speculative or anecdotal. Right. Stimulates the pleasure centers of the brain. Addictions don't have to be to an actual chemical. We create chemicals in our own brain based on our experience. And you can develop what's called a process addiction, like with smoking. And with actual drugs, there are people who can have interaction with those behaviors or and those chemicals and not necessarily develop an addiction. 
So not everyone who looks at porn develops an addiction. It's really interesting. You know, I've been an addiction treatment therapist for, like I said, like four decades. And I started out as a drug addiction counselor. And there's always about like 10 to 15% of people who interact with some kind of addictive substance or behavior who then go on to develop a very serious problem with it. So you have a large majority of people who can interact and not develop a bona fide addiction where you have craving and out of control behavior and you can't stop despite negative consequences. But that does leave a lot of people with serious problems. If you have millions of people looking at porn, you're going to have significant numbers of people who are find themselves hooked on it. I thought it was really fascinating that it can actually stimulate more testosterone production. And here's a possible problem that I foresee because of what you, you've written. And then when I overlay that with social media addiction and technology addiction, even gamers, for example, gaming is very, very addictive. But all those platforms, social media and gaming, have what's called attention architects, whose job it is to design the games to become addictive. So you come back, you keep coming back for more. And I would not be surprised if the exact same thing happens in the porn industry, if they actually, in fact, need it. Because you tell us that that addiction and that raising of the bar is just like if you take a drug, you need then more of the drug to get the same high the next time, then you need more and more. And in a porn world, that happens to correlate with porn getting more and more hardcore in the 90s. You had Blockbuster, you had stores like that around the world. And the video that was outside the counter was like the art of sex or the Karma Sutra. And it was more artistic, as you say. But over time, we've seen this even with ratings of movies, that something that would have been 18s is now parental guidance or 15s, because violence is much more prolific in movies where it would not have got through the standards before. And that's exactly what we're seeing in pornography as well. Exactly. It's been called the cruel edge to porn that's gone on. I mean, sex is, is, is kind of pretty perfunctory. If you're looking at intercourse, it's kind of, you know, a piston moving inside a sleeve or something, you know, and it's like, they, they, they can get kind of boring after a while. So there's the edges added to it. The pornographers know that if they throw in things like degradation, humiliation, male dominance over females or white dominance over racial minorities, they spin it where you're having pain to pain is involved. And 88% of mainstream videos involve acts of sexual aggression and they're primarily towards females. That's mainstream porn videos. It's huge now. That wasn't the case early on with the the more artistic kind of pornography that showed, but they, they're adding this edge to get people, there are a lot of talk about free porn and you go, oh, well, my porn's free. I'm not paying for it. I'm, you know, I'm, and it, it's like this porn comes with a huge price because what you're doing is you're giving over your sex, the shaping and conditioning of your sexuality and our sexuality is always in the process of being shaped and conditioned. You're giving over that process to this industry whose goal is to make money. Um, this guy, Fabian Thielman, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he has been called the king of porn. He actually developed the software 
in the late 1990s for a system of free, on-demand, preference-sensitive porn that drives uh, consumers to paid sites. And those paid sites involve things like extreme violence or gonzo porn kind of stuff, um, extreme humiliation, child pornography, and... um, and, you know, that's where the money is. And their whole point is like, if we can give free porn to, let's say, 100 people, we know that maybe five or 10% are going to move on to the paid sites. And that's where we make our money. So he, you know, he was behind things like YouPorn, Pornhub, Playboy, Tube8, Spankwire. And his, um, I mean, back 10 years ago, his uh, com- combined, his sites were generating uh, 16 billion hits per month. And, um, and he actually went out and said, we want to create as many opportunities as possible for people to spend money. Creating the pop-ups and things that move you into in tease you with signs of paid porn sites you could go to. It's like these algorithms that we're all going nutso about in terms of Facebook or, you know, you know or even if you buy something online, you start, you, won't, you go out to buy a refrigerator and all of a sudden you're seeing ads for refrigerators, you know, for the next two months. These kind of algorithms are what is shaping sexuality, especially among young people. And young people aren't even getting that experience of being able to have their first sexual experiences be with their own erotic imagination or with an actual person that they care about. Instead, this porn industries can jump in. It's so alluring, you know, and it's so easy. Um, It can jump in and then just sort of take, take a young person on a a ride of, you know, they take over. I I see it as a form of sexual abuse. I've worked with sexual abuse survivors for years and where you have something that dominates and exploits through sexual activity or suggestion. That is the definition of sexual abuse. And that's what's happening to our young people. Uh, People don't want to hear that. And some people get very angry and they feel very much like you must be a prude. I'm not a prude. I love sexuality and I've devoted my life to uh, helping people obtain healthy sexual experiences and relationships. It's more like you see something you love and that has so much power to increase self-esteem and give pleasure and develop people's confidence and assertiveness and, and love and caring for each other. You see something like that get taken over, hijacked by an industry that's just out to make money and denying people their innocence, their own self-exploration, and trying to define sex in very narrow ways, turning it into kind of like a stimulant drug as opposed to an interaction. I see sex as the most powerful, wonderful way of communicating with another human being. You're carrying an affection and you're, you, you spin off into worlds of passion and intensity that make you feel like life is all worthwhile. I want younger generations to be able to experience that and not have to fight their way, you know, give up this drug 
thing to then fight their way to try and figure out how to have healthy sexuality. But that's what I'm afraid we're dealing with. Like you, and you say this in the book, you are all for free speech. You were for pornography the way it used to be, where it was actually could be used for good, where it was a sexual stimulant or an addition to a healthy sexual relationship. It's the future generations is one of the reasons I reached out, because this is something we try to do on the show where it's something just we haven't thought of. And when you see it in a different context and in a different light, you think about it totally different. And that's what I hope to do today is just shine a light on it. Let's talk about children because you talk about the early access or the the first encounters were born oftentimes there by accident. When you wrote it, you were probably more talking about dog-eared magazines and VHS, <laughs> and, you know, D- DVDs were dog-eared and worse. And um, so you were probably talking about those days. There was actually a physical stash, while now it's all online. But that can also be a different danger because that can go down a rabbit hole. It's that. It's almost the sliding doors. A kid can get off to a healthy start in sexual education, a lot of parents will go, well, you know what? It's great because I don't have to have the birds and bees talk, but they don't know. But some, some of them may not know the hardcore nature of this and how, how far it's actually gone. I'd love your thoughts on that. Well, birds and bees, I'm thinking you're talking more like wasps and tarantulas, you know, that's what they're getting exposed to. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, no, porn is like the, the worst sex educator because it, um, it's often very skewed, you know, the size of sexual organs and the way they look, the penis size is several inches uh, larger than, you know, a normal penis size. The vaginas are shaved. That's become sort of a cultural thing that's even been adopted by women. But there are these ways it skews the way we should look, the what, how things go on, the kind of language that should be used in a is shown to be used in an interaction often is very blunt and it has nothing to do with really checking in with a partner, you know, on how you each are enjoying what's going on and what you might want to do a little different or what you want more of or things like this, you know, uh, in a way that's very respectful. The porn is like a really bad sex educator. They don't often use uh, any kind of protection, so it, it conditions people to not using condoms and not checking in first with someone. There's a lot of stranger sex. The heart is missing. Love isn't associate, associated with sexual arousal. It's this sort of like, what can you do for me? You know, how can I use the image of your body or the acts that you perform? You know, how can I imagine these acts being performed as opposed to like a dance where you're enjoying the flow of energy between you and you can kind of feel like you accomplished something together that was really profound and meaningful that reaffirmed genuine caring. I saw an article the other day. I was just kind of blown out by it. It was talking about sex bots, you know, which are sex robots. And there's this whole thing. And it was saying, Oh, we could have our, the future marriages will have like uh, two people and the, and the, who decide they want to parent kids together and have, uh, they, they get married to do that, but they each have their own sex bots 
to relate to, you know, for their orgasms, because that will be a lot more convenient. And one of this, the things this brings up, Aiden, is the loss of skills that's going on. You have a whole generation that really has not learned how to develop sexual interest and maintain it in a relationship and and keep it exciting and to personally grow in a sexual relationship. And the bottom line is the studies show that things like cuddling and the afterglow and building anticipation, all those kinds of things are really crucial to maintaining and enjoying a, a rich sex life with someone over you know, a long period of time. It's not a matter of acting out these very brief scenes that are have one thing, the money shot, you know, <laughs> um, that they're geared toward. I'm delighted you said this about setting false standards because the standard becomes that which is seen in the pornography. And people say this about Instagram and, and Snapchat and these different social media platforms and social messengers that you're seeing in magazines what a girl should look like. Therefore, society kind of adapts towards that. But on the flip side, a lot of youth, a lot of millennials, a lot and younger, you, you know, when you wrote the book, the average age people first saw a pornography and encountered it was 11. That was back in the, let's call it the analog days before everything was digital. So the likelihood and the ease of access now is much more likely. So if they're seeing this and if they think that's the way it's done, they will replicate that. And like you said about the sex robots, the lack of humanity in it and the lack of actual personal relationship and therefore building those skills will have a massive effect on society of the future. And that's one thing I think we should really consider for the future. Oh, yeah. And when you look, we're in the era where there's the Me Too movement going on and women are speaking out about the prolific sexual abuse that goes on in work environments just all over on in many institutions. What goes on in pornography, there's a huge overlap with sexual abuse. People are made to be objects. They're dehumanized. It's all about power. And there isn't a caring or an empathy or a, a sensitivity towards what another person of another gender might be feeling and their experience. And so porn has been called a manual for rape. And for some people, especially those who watch a lot of violent porn, this research is showing that it does encourage sexual coercion and assault. But short of that, it encourages a kind of verbal uh, sexual harassment and a climate of intimidation often towards women. And so porn is amazing. I'm, I'm just fascinated by it in a lot of ways. This is like a drug, but it's also like propaganda. It's also like, you know, a training manual. And it's also playing this role as the worst sex educator in the world. One of the ways you can fight porn is to get really good sex education start learning about sexuality and healthy sexuality and you know how bodies really function and what people really need to feel safe in sex like for women they often open up with more passion when they feel safe and respected 
And so if your training is through porn and you go, you know, oh, do this, do that, you know, and you're thinking and you're a man and you're thinking, yeah, this is going to make me a really good lover, you know, and, and you act like that in sex, you're probably going to put a lot of female, if you're heterosexual, a lot of female partners off. And like you say, the female is no longer the prized possession. She's actually an object and often degraded and humiliated. Yeah, her body used to act out what was seen in the porn. And again, the lover, the affection or the attachment has gone to porn and and is not is is absent in terms of being able to be developed with a partner let's point that then at relationships because we've talked about how it can affect future generations and is affecting current generations but let's talk about relationships and the erosion of trust that can happen for example yeah well porn use encourages dishonesty in a relationship, people lie to maintain their porn use. They hide their porn use. They're often understandably ashamed and embarrassed about the things they're looking at. Some have ventured either into or close to child porn or into or close to violent porn. And that's totally understandable given these algorithms and these ways the the porn industry and the way it is online, that's what it, it, it just means you've been duped. So people hide their porn use and lie about it. And it's like the affair that they're not talking about. They often will develop ir- irritability. And when people feel shame, they often become angry and jump to contempt towards other people. It's their own pain of what they're dealing with, the feeling of having lost control uh, with their sexuality. It can do the quality of sexual relating, the, the honesty drops off. I think one of the most painful things for me in counseling has been hearing from often females, or it could be a, a gay partner or a lesbian partner, if their partner had got heavily into porn, that, that hear them talk about how their emotional feelings become unimportant to the porn user. Their value in the relationship has diminished because the porn user will lie to maintain the relationship with porn at the expense of knowing they're doing something that's upsetting the partner. And that's really hard to take. So that's stage one of a four stages that you've identified. And then the next stage being the shock of discovery when somebody does discover that the reason the partner has been distant or has been acting a bit strange or their sleeping habits have changed, whatever it may be, then they discover and there's this initial huge shock. Shock and fear, like also what will this mean? One woman I talked with, her husband had gotten into the teen porn and they had a teenage daughter and she just was at her wit's end, you know, with concern for her daughter. You can't totally compartmentalize what you are exposed to in porn from how you relate and the way your eye moves and looks at people. These kind of things can be really subtle and they can go on in work environments. In an intimate relationship, it's very hard when you lose respect for a partner to gain that back. I've seen it happen and that's when the porn user has recognized, come out of denial and recognized they have a serious problem and gotten help and made steps to develop 
different ways of relating, of talking. And a lot of the young men that I spoke with and young women who were like college age or high school were saying that it wasn't until they started really like being on a work environment with other people, like young males who were doing a project together for a class and they got befriended females and they try and they got to know females as friends that they started to change their views and decided that they didn't want to be looking at porn which was demeaning this gender so it's that human contact and that can make the shift uh, you start seeing people as uh, you know worthy of respect and the real connection the hugging and cuddling and soothing, you know, all those things. Those are the kinds of behaviors, by the way, that um, make sex more satisfying because there's vasopressins, other chemicals that create a deep level of satisfaction and feeling of connection that go on. Vasopressins are released also like in nursing. So this kind of real sense of closeness and being seen and being special, being soothed, those are the things that make sex really deeply rewarding and satisfying. And so I think things like love and really learning sensual skills and the ability to connect the heart and sex, that those are the kinds of things that that really will win in the end i'm hoping <laughs> yeah it's so similar isn't it to technology conditioning where it takes out the middleman which is actually a human yeah. <laughs> straight to your whatever you need on demand society without having to go through a human and that's the piece that's so so important but wendy the book's fantastic and, and you do you give a series of exercises for anybody out there who is who is suffering you give a program and ways to deal with it and ways to heal as a couple etc but if people wanted to get in touch or find out more about your work where can they reach you go to healthysex.com that's my website we have a lot of free articles some free videos links to other podcasts and there's some posters too on how Porn sex differs from healthy sex. These are things that can be used in education with teenagers and in work environments, things like this. There's a lot there and there's a contact page as well. So I wish people all the best with, you know, figuring this out for yourself and, and reclaiming your sexuality or holding on to your sexuality as something that you determine for yourself and take it in the directions you want it to go. Internationally renowned speaker, expert in relationship and sex therapist and author of The Porn Trap, Wendy Maltz, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. And don't forget, you can find the show on theinnovationshow.io and on medium.com forward slash the Thursday Thought. You'll find the blog that's associated with the show that goes out every Thursday. Thanks for joining us.